0: Last week, I feel like we were blessed when we looked at the passage from Colossians 3, what it spoke about, forgiving as Christ forgave us. But as I walked away, there's a little bit of that uh, message where I, I want to make a subtle um, um, a point today, and that'll be the sermon. When we looked at our illustrations, we looked at Matthew 18, we looked at Nehemiah 5, and we also looked at, I believe, Luke 7, and where there were debts. And those debts were completely forgiven. Okay, And that's important for us when we're interacting for one another to remember that. But in an eternal sense, in the day we live where sin is almost a bad word, I want you to know that our debts were forgiven, they were redeemed. But they weren't redeemed with an eraser; they were redeemed with a payment. And I'd like to talk to you about grace, and grace is not free. Matter of fact, it's very expensive. It took the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to pay that debt. So this is just a very fundamental lesson in uh, uh, of the gospel. Uh, I think you know me well enough where I'm not one of what you'd call a fire and brimstone preacher. I'm not going to try to guilt you into a relationship with God, but I'm going to try to gratitude you to one. So when you get to appreciate what Jesus Christ did for you out of thanks, out of gratitude, out of appreciation, you will want to try to please him, and that's the motivation. Matter of fact, I think that's a deeper, richer motivation. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Scripture. My first passage will be found in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, I'd like to read verses 20 through 23. I'm sorry, 20 through 22. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Notice all the blessings we have there. We have been made peace with God. We have been reconciled with God. We have been made holy. We've been made unblameable, and we've been made unreprovable. And what was that done by? What was the vehicle that accomplished all that? Again, it wasn't a racer. It was a payment. It was the life of Jesus Christ. And when we remember what he did and the life he lived and the sacrifice that he made... We realize the fact that he even came down to earth to take on flesh form and to die for us was that payment. And that's why we can say we are forgiven. Because that debt has been paid. Again, I'm going to be honest with you. I am just going to try to overwhelm you with Scripture about how many times this is said. And I don't think we could consider ourselves a full gospel church unless we understood that the fact of what Jesus Christ did and that payment he made was absolutely necessary for our atonement, for our reconciliation, for our propitiation, for our justification. Do you understand? That payment is absolutely necessary. For second witness, I'm going to go to Romans 5, 6 through 8. Now, I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you. And again, I would encourage you that this week, go back home and read the verses above, read the verses below, make sure I'm not cherry-picking and taking things out of context. In Romans 5, 6 through 8, for when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This shows the passive nature of this transaction. Do you understand how ungodly we were, and in the act of sin, and in sitting, and alienated from God in our minds, that payment was made? We were passive. We did not consent to it. Matter of fact, we weren't even aware to it because that transaction took place two thousand years ago on the cross. For ne- another witness, I'd like to go to Ephesians one six and seven, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. We see we're accepted in the beloved. How? Because we're in him, in whom we have redemption through his blood. How do we get that redemption? Through the payment. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That's why I say grace is not free. Grace was pretty expensive. It cost Jesus Christ his life. It costed him his blood. That's what it cost. And we find through scripture that that blood is more precious than any money you have in the account. Any gems or any stones or any gold, any precious metals any stock certificates, any houses or lands, it was paid for something more precious than anything you have or could gather together or we could gather together collectively. And all we can say is praise God for that. Amen? Okay. Now, I'm sorry. I, I, I think like a finance person. That was my graduate and undergraduate degrees were in finance, my 20 years of history had banking experience. I think like that. I think like an accountant. I think like an investment banker. And, and and when I see some of these terms, that's just the way my mind works. So you're gonna have to tolerate me as I use these illustrations. But hopefully this will make a little bit of sense. Okay? I, I guess the best way I'd like to say it is, <clears throat> again, God, especially in an eternal sense, he judges all of us. The thing is, and I'll show you the scripture in a second, in the end end of time, when the world is over and Jesus Christ comes back and the books are opened up, and he looks, he's going to see Richard Kemp, and he's not going to see any debts. And the reason why he doesn't see any debts is is not because God erased them. He's not gonna see any debts because Jesus paid for them. He bought them. That's why the ledger is, is, is blank. Now, we all stand before God and it's not our behavior, it's not our good works, it's not our good looks, it's not our intelligence. It's the payment that Jesus Christ made. I don't know if you believe it, but I hope you get the fact that I believe it, that grace isn't free. Okay? It's not even cheap. Okay? But I just want to show you a judgment with God. I've got three verses, The are all in Romans. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing and glory and honor and immortality eternal life. But unto them who are contentious, that do not obey the truth, that but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath and tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, the Jew first and also the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respecter of persons with God. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, if you are free or a, 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 a slave. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, you're blue-collar, you're white-collar. All of you are judged before God. That verse shows that God is impartial. He has no respecter of persons. It's not nationality. It's not how good-looking you are. It's not how many muscles you have. It's not your GPA. It's not the letter after your names. It's not the dollars in your bank account. He judges all of us. We all stand before him in that round. Let's look for a second one. In Romans five ten and 11, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Notice that enemies, that's that passive nature when this transaction was done, we were an enemy. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received atonement. How do we get redemption? How do we get reconciliation? How do we get the atonement? By that payment Jesus Christ made. And then one more. Romans 6, 20 and 23. For when we were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. Then verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's all on Jesus. Amen? Okay. Okay. I want to talk about 30-part redemption. I'm guessing about three years ago, I did a message on some basic doctrine. Boy, I can't believe it's been three years since I did that series. But I did a whole sermon on substitution. And I want to take a couple of those illustrations that I used back then. I don't know if you remember or not. But they seem to be pretty effective, so I want to, by way of remembrance, bring them to you. Let's pretend, this this is just all make-believe, Jesus uses parables. I'm using my financial examples, okay? Let's pretend you went to the country of India, okay? In India, India has some very crazy laws where they think the life of flies and animals and cows are very, very sacred and very, very important. And let's pretend they had a law... It says, thou shall not kill a cow. And if you kill a cow, you're going to be thrown in jail. And your payment is a billion dollars. A billion dollars. So I go to India. And as I get to India, I look at that law and I go, that's a dumb law. Okay? You know what? It doesn't matter what I think of the law, does it? It's their sovereignty. I'm living there. I'm subject to their sovereignty. They have a law. So I'm living there and I'm just thinking that's a dumb law so why I'm there I'm getting tired of tofu burgers <laughs> oh, I love that so I, so I sneak in the middle of the night and I butcher a cow and I make my steaks and my ribs and, 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 and I do all that stuff and I'm barbecuing it and, 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 the, and, the, and the meat's popping and I'm just oh I smell the meat and it's just looking so good and then the authorities show up I'm, I'm guilty I'm caught red handed Amen? And they come to arrest me and they take me away and I go, yeah, but that's a dumb law. Doesn't matter what I think of the law, does it? I'm still guilty. And they take me down and they book me as I'm before the judge. I say, that's a dumb law. And then they try me. and The only defense I have is that's a dumb law. And they find me guilty. Then they sentence me and I'm in jail. And why I'm in jail, I'm sitting there and I go, that's a dumb law. Bottom line is I'm still in jail, Right? So then some really rich guy comes along and says, Brother Dolph, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry, more sorry for your wife because she's got to do without you, your children and and all that. I'm going to pay your billion dollars. And I say, "Uh uh-uh, don't pay it because that's a dumb law. You're laughing. Doesn't it sound ridiculous? But that's really what the gospel's all about, isn't it? So he pays it anyway. So they come to the jail cell, and they open the door, and they let me through when I come out. And when I come out, I said, oh, I wish you wouldn't have done that. And my wife is saying, thank you for doing that. I'm too thick-headed to understand and appreciate it. But, but, but I go on, and what's the probability that I would go forward and butcher another cow? What would that be saying to the rich man that paid my fine? Do you understand that? Out of appreciation for him, I would not do it. Okay, let's do a different scenario, okay? That's my make-believe story on India and the cow. Okay, let's tell another story that's not so make-believe. Let's suppose there's other country, and it's called Eden, Okay. And in this country, Eden, they have a law that says, thou shall not eat the fruit of this particular tree. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, you know what? That's a dumb law. What's so special about this tree compared to all the other trees? It doesn't matter what I think the law is dumb or not, or ridiculous or not. That country is sovereign, and God, who's the sovereignty of that country, set that law and he made that law. So I go up, I'm looking at that tree, and I say, that fruit looks really good. I know in the middle of the night, I'll set my alarm clock for 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'll go up there, and I'm going to eat that fruit. So I go get the fruit, and I do all that. And why I'm eating that fruit, I'm eating it. And all of a sudden, I get caught red-handed. I got half an apple or half a piece of fruit in my mouth, and I'm chomping on it, it's coming down, and I got the juice on my and you've eaten it. And I do the same thing. I go, that's a dumb law. The only difference between India and Eden is in India, the law was you had to pay a billion dollars. In Eden, the law is it's a death penalty. So same thing happens they arrest me. I say it's a dumb law. They book me. I say it's a dumb law. They try me. I say it's a dumb law. They, they find me guilty. They sentence me. It's a dumb law. I'm in the jail cell. And even in the jail cell, I say it's a dumb law. And then I've got this very good friend that comes up and says, I'm single. You've got a family. You've got five children. You've got grandchildren coming along. I feel sorry. I am going to take your place. And I say, no, don't take my place. That's a dumb law. So as they're taking me out of the jail cell and to the gallows, he throws a sack over my head, ties me up, casts me to the side, jumps in the way and walks up and goes to the gallows for me. And they execute him. And then they say, Mr. Painter, you can now go free. Why? How come I can go free? He says, because your friend paid your price. But I didn't want him to pay my... I didn't have any input into it, right? Well, in both cases, the NDS Silly illustration and in the um, eating of the fruit illustration, I needed someone else to pay that. It just wasn't erased. Another person came in and paid that. See, in America right now, third-party redeemers, it's its just unnatural to our thought process. Let's look at a couple scriptures, Okay. The first one is in Isaiah 53. I'd like to read verse 5 and then jump down to 10 and 11. It says, but he, this is talking about Jesus Christ, was wounded for our transgressions. Do you understand the substitution principle here? Third party redemption. And he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. Kind of get the feeling we can't take any credit for it, huh? Amen? Down to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul as an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. That debt was paid. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. That's third party redemption. So, from our end of the transaction, we think grace is free, but nothing's free. Did you know Domino says free pizza delivery? but if you pick it up in person, you get $3 off. Amen? There's a lot of things that appear free that really aren't. Checking accounts really aren't free. A lot of them, you gotta keep a $2,000 minimum balance. So the cost is interest on the $2,000. They say speech is free. Do we have free speech? Once upon a time, it cost someone a lot. It cost them their lives. So that's not free. Well, grace is the same way. Grace is not free. It cost someone a lot. It cost our Savior a lot. Okay? Let's jump down here. 2 Corinthians 5, let me read 18 and 21. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. So when the ledger was looked off and they saw your name and there's no offenses next to it, it was gone because Jesus Christ paid for it. Third witness, 1 Peter three eighteen, For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. The good news is not only did he die, but he rose again, but that's another sermon. Do you get that third part? Of, that's really, really important. Okay, let's look at God's judgment. I kind of shared that with you. I tell a story, There's a, I was reading an article of a man that lived, um, I think it was in the early 1900s. What happened was, is he had a great big Thanksgiving meal for he and his family. And he had two little girls, and the two little girls were acting up and back-talking their mom. And he got tired of it, and he told us, he said, that's it, you're not going to have dinner. So he sent them upstairs to the room. And they were sitting down to the family, and the rest of the family was there. They were having their Thanksgiving meal. And the mother and the father felt so bad that the father went upstairs and went to his daughters and called his daughters down, and they went down to the Thanksgiving dinner. And they sat down, and they started eating. And the little girl said to their mom, where's daddy? And the dad and, and mother said, well, your dad... Decided to pay the penalty for you. What kind of power does that have on children? My kids are pretty much grown. My youngest is 20. I wish I'd have thought of that a few years ago. I think it might have had a little bit of impact in teaching them about what Jesus did for them. Okay? Okay. Here's God's judgment. Here's two illustrations, both of them are revelations. The first one is Revelations 5, 7 through 9. Imagine looking at an accounting book. It, it, it's kind of like maybe it's a hardware store or maybe it's a, a grocery store where you have the IOUs, right? And you're looking at all the names and everybody's name is listed in the whole world. And there's all the debts that are listed, but next to your name, it says zero, Let's read this. Revelations 5, 7 through 9. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts, the four and twenty elders, fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy, by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. So they opened the books. And there were some that had zero balances, and there were some that didn't have zero balances. Okay? There is a hell. There's an eternal Damnation. Revelations 20. Here's another one. It says nearly the same thing. Revelations 20, 12 and 13. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell were delivered up which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works. How does anybody get to heaven? Because Jesus paid their debt, amen? You can't take credit for a lick of it, none of it, okay? Okay, zero balances. Let me read a couple verses here. See, I I, I can't get you with quality of preaching, I'm gonna get you with a quantity of verses, yeah? It's just throughout the whole New Testament. I even found an Old Testament reference in Isaiah 53. We can't take credit for anything, and our debts weren't simply erased. They were paid for. God required that. Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. In Hebrews 9 and verse 26, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just like that man that pushed me aside, put the sack over my, set, my head and pushed me aside and went to the gallows for me. That's what Jesus did for you. Okay. So what does that mean for us? I told you, I don't want to try to guilt you into a, pre- or a relationship with the Lord, but I want to try to gratitude you one into one. Okay? So, what does that mean for us? If you've come to understand it, if you've come to appreciate it, you say thank you. And words aren't enough. You'd say thank you with your shoe leather, too. And here's three references for that. First one, Ephesians 5 and verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet smelling savor. Lord, I don't know how to say thank you for all the things you did for me. My words just seem empty. The best way I know is to look sideways and find someone in need and help them. It's the, best way, it's the simplest way I know how to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for the love you showed me by pushing me aside and going to the gallows for me. <clears throat> is that too simple? It is. We want to make it more complicated, don't we? But that's it. 1 Peter 1, 16-19 half-quoted this verse. Because it is written, Be ye holy. How do I do that? I set myself apart. I follow God's commandments. For I am holy, and if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work past the time of your sojourning here in fear, much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What was that payment made by? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. So what do I do about it? I walk in holiness. I obey his commandments. I say thank you. Will I be perfect? No. But Jesus was perfect for me. And I try to be Perfect. And I hope I'm a little better today than I was yesterday, and I hope I'm better tomorrow than I am today. That's how I show him my respect and my thank you. And one more. First John four nine and eleven. This passage so influenced me. I know this is cornball. But I named my third son. Read John because of this verse. See, Corny, I told you. But that's how he got his name. Read John. Except my wife wouldn't let me name him R-E-A-D. He says, I'm not going to let you name my son after a verb. <laughs> so it's R-E-I-D. But the intent was still there. Okay. In this was manifest the love of God towards us because that he, God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love... Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. That's that expensive payment. Not a free payment, an expensive payment. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. That's basically what Ephesians 2 says, doesn't it? Lord, I don't know how to say thank you. I can sing and I can pray. and I am to do those things. But somehow those seem empty. Just look sideways. Look someone in need. Yeah, you want to start with your own spouse. Isn't that sometimes the one where they're most curt with? Your children. People in the church. Your next door neighbor. Or someone doing you wrong. Amen? Or someone in need or homeless. You just look around for someone in need and you just try to help them. And that's it. Okay? So, grace ain't free. Matter of fact, grace was very expensive, wasn't it? Amen? So with that being said, going back to last week, we want to forgive is, and I haven't got this worked out in my mind, so I need some help. This is, this is where I might cut the tape short. I'm, I'm asking for your help now, okay? If, now reason with me, <laughs> if we're supposed to forgive as Christ forgave, think how he forgave. He went to the cross for us and paid our sin debt. And that's how he forgave. What if I forgive my wife like that, instead of saying she says I'm sorry and I say okay I forgive you. What if when, and I keep on using my wife to me nine times out of ten it's myself to my wife. Okay, you understand. So so she comes and she does this, <clears throat> and when I do something knuckleheaded, and I come to her and I'm saying I'm sorry. Not only does she that's okay I'm going to forgive like Christ for no, she's going to forgive like Christ forgave. And she actually helps me pay the debt. Do you understand that extra sense to it? Last week when I was introducing, I was, I, we were talking about forgiveness. I used the introduction about love, right? James 5.8 says, love thy neighbor as thyself. But then we read Philippians 2 and it says, love thy neighbor better than thyself then we go to John 13, 35, and it says, love thy neighbor as Christ love. He keeps on raising the bar. Well, that's the way forgiveness is. Forgive as we forget of our debtors. That's the Lord's prayer. Forgive as Christ forgave. Well, he forgave, he let it go, but he also paid the sin debt. Oh boy, God, you're asking too much now that's what I said when he says love better than themselves I said you're going too far now Lord I haven't cleared 5-6 and you're asking me to clear 5-9 read John 13 now you just raised to 6 foot I haven't cleared 5-6 yet Lord what do you have me to do bottom line is we're a mess amen thank you brother some are more of a mess than others but it doesn't matter big mess little mess in between mess You still need a third-party redeemer to pay your debt. And he did. May the Lord bless you. Amen.